0: I wanted to start, so you've seen, I don't know if you've seen or not, but there's this interesting video of this guy who's really, really, really into the new Star Wars trailer. I've kind of lost track of some of the Star Wars stuff. Uh, I, I liked it when I was a kid, which I sort of get into, but he's really, really into it. To the point where, like, he's, he's emotional, he seems to be crying, he's so passionate about this Star Wars video. And it's the kind of emotion that you would normally maybe see out of grandparents who've been told that, well, I guess grandparents for the first time who've been told that their kids are having kids and so on. That is incredibly strong emotional power. Now, this guy's been kind of mocked, and a woman, I guess, provoked a lot of guys by saying that these kinds of guys, like guys really into Star Wars and really into comic book movies and so on, are undateable. Now, whether they are or not, I don't know, because I can certainly see, I can see the case both ways, but when I was watching this guy, my sort of big question is why is he so passionate about the Star Wars trailer? Why is he so passionate? And my mind sort of zoomed back, so when I was I guess Star Wars came out, what, 77? So I was 11. And I think when I was 12, I picked up... I didn't... There was no video. I guess I don't know if people had videotapes back then. I certainly didn't. But I picked up the... the, (laughs) This is really old school. Audio LP, which is like this big Frisbee disc that you would put a needle on. And I had this uh, record player that I got from an old place named Consumers Distributing, which used to be this big giant warehouse. You'd go out and fill out these forms, and you'd get this... Record player. And you couldn't even close the lid. You, you could on 45s, but not on 33s, which were the bigger records. And it was so bad. Like the speakers were all made of plastic, and the the needle was not good at all. You put the needle on the record. Put the needle on the record. And what you would do is you put the needle on, and it would play, and then it would skip a song. Like there would there'd be a little bit of a blank between songs, and then it eventually it would get – the album would be on two sides. Um, and <laughs> My friends would never, ever want to bring their albums over to my place because my needle was so bad. It was kind of like a something like you'd use to peel apples, you know, with those apple peelers. And I actually had to put – it would skim over the top. The needle was so fat, it would skim over the top of the album. So I had to put plasticine on top to the point where it slowed the records down. <laughs> I remember – um, so, uh, one friend, before he realized all of this, brought over the record. Uh, the, I guess the, the album YMCA by the Village People. You know YMCA, but I had to put so much plasticine on the needle holder that it was like YMCA. It's fun to play at the. And it was, <laughs> when I actually heard it on the radio later at full speed, I'm like, yeah, I can see why that would be a hit, and not this Quaaludes version that that I listen to. But um, I got the album for Star Wars and I wasn't that particularly into Star Wars. I was kind of a Jaws guy, then I was a Superman guy. I wasn't really that much into Star Wars, but I really liked the album. I liked listening to it and the dialogues just kinda, you know, burned into your you know, when I don't know, kids these days, right? Like you've got you've you've got YouTube music and so on, you've got such an array of things to listen to. You've you've got podcasts, broadcasts, music, audiobooks. I mean, I understand, of course, it's only and always free domain radio, but assuming that you could listen to some other stuff, you, you could, right? But back then, you had to wait. Well, cartoons came on once a week, 5 p.m. on Sunday. And uh, I remember when we got older, I didn't do this, but some friends used to wait. There was a, a Toronto station. It's still running called City TV that used to run what were called Baby Blues, which was like softcore pornographic films in the middle of the night run by a fellow named Moses Nehmer. And people used to wait wait up to watch, I don't know, you could get half a side boob or something like that. People would lose their minds. Um, But the Star Wars thing, I remember being quite excited by it simply because, I mean, I'm talking the original one, like The New Hope. A New Hope. It's like, it is a great adventure story. And this guy who got very emotional about the trailer. So I'm trying to think why, why. Now, I don't know why. Obviously, I don't know the guy. But I'll tell you what I think. I remember I would stand on my balcony. So I lived in a, um, I was like, I don't know, 11 stories. I think 11-story apartment building. We lived three different apartments in the same apartment building because we were waiting for more bedrooms to open up. And I would stand on my balcony, and my balcony overlooked a swimming pool. This is in the place that we settled in longer. It overlooked a swimming pool. There was an apartment across the way, and to the left, there was another apartment building, then a road, and then a school, and then a forest. And the forest was actually quite thick. It's the Don Valley. It's it's great hiking and all of that. I was actually hiking there with my then-girlfriend when I was like, you know, I'm never going to upgrade from this woman. I'm going to try and close the deal. But um, I remember standing on my balcony, looking out south, and looking at that big giant forest, and I got this odd excitement and thirst and desire that if that forest was unexplored, if we were like on on the frontier, if we were on the edge of civilization... I know it's a swimming pool and it's an apartment building, but if I thought, what a great thing it would be if there were, if I could explore those woods and no footprints had been there before me, like the frontier, the new place to go, the new thing. Because there's no new place in the world. I guess there are some undersea caves, but who? Yeah, right. You've got to pay a huge amount to get there, but you can't just go and go out into the wilderness. And explore new things and go to new places. Everywhere you go, you go over the next hill, and there's a mall. Everywhere you go, you go over the next hill. There's a farmer's field. There's a, an outhouse from when people had kids. You know, like that. There's, there's a man-made lake. There's garbage. There's a broken plastic chair somewhere. There's there's fishing line and lures in the trees. People casting. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, people have been there before. There's no new ground to break. Now, of course, when I was a kid, the new ground was going to be space, right? You go to space. Now, i got to tell you, I mean, from what we've seen, space not that interesting to explore. You go to the moon, it's like, hey, another crater. Hey, some more moon rocks. This is all very exciting. All too exciting for words. Mars, too. Oh, let's go to Mars and fulfill Elton John's warbling from the 70s. And it's like, hey, you know. It's just a bunch of red dust and low atmosphere and make-believe Matt Damon. That's really just not that much going on on Mars. It's not going to be that exciting. Now, this, of course, is a time when I was uh, starting to play Dungeons and & Dragons. And I remember that first night. I actually looked up the guy whose house we played Dungeons & Dragons in that first night. And I remember we were in a dark forest and orcs jumped us and I saw it so vividly in my head, so vividly. That orcs were pig-faced men, and I saw it so vividly. I don't know if it's a European thing or, or just a me thing, but it was so vivid, and I was like, I was there. Because in in Dungeons and Dragons, we could explore new areas where people hadn't been before, or if they'd been there before, it had been a long time. You go to the old catacombs or some old temple or or whatever it is. We did the Caves of Chaos, which was an old Dungeons and Dragons module where we we basically went through NPCs like a combine harvester goes through wheat. We had an entire <laughs> field where we'd bury. Everyone and the dungeon master, bless his soul, had to come up with names for the, the, the NPCs who uh, I'm afraid dropped like flies uh, in our employ. But I just remember thinking, and I don't know if you've had this, like, don't you want to go to some new frontier? Don't you want to test your wits against nature? I mean, even, ah, uh, even when I worked up north, even when I did the gold panning, the prospecting after high school for about a year and a half. A year, year and a bit, year and a half, something like that. Anyway. Even there we had indigenous natives of Canada went in ahead of us to blaze the trails. Because we had to carry these big giant Pianjar drills, which weighed like sixty, eighty pounds, and all the drill equipment on snowshoes through deep snow. I mean, it was really quite an intense experience. So we couldn't blaze we couldn't actually do all the trails ahead of time. So even even When you you drive north for two days, you end up in a tiny town called Nikina. You get some half-drunken pilot flying you out of Nikina. (laughs) And you're really in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. Dumas Lake, was that what? Anyway. And still, people have been there before because you're going through the trails that they've come up with. And actually, I do remember one of the guys I was working with, it's one of the things that helped me not become a geologist, and also not interested in being a geologist. But I remember him. We were standing someplace in the middle of nowhere, and he's like, "Oh man, I just realized this." He said, "I, I staked this claim ten years ago, like almost this exact same spot. Like it just I had deja vu the whole time we were because you had to go 100 feet, you know, hammer in your your stakes, and and then you corner pieces every kilometer to make sure with with the the plates on, so that you knew who was whose was what." So even then, I'm in the middle of nowhere. And still people have been there before me. And that new frontier, that unbroken trail, that no footprints ahead of me and barely any behind me, that icebreaker into a new wilderness, I can totally see. I mean, I know that people in the... 17th 18th 19th century who came to the new world they were fleeing religious persecution and all this kind of stuff and a lot of them didn't really want to make the voyage and a third of them went back and so on but you know the lewis and clark and the people who just got to go new places they got to i mean okay yes indigenous people had been there before but but for them and for you know indigenous population was relatively low because of course this is wildfire of smallpox that raced through the indigenous population, not to mention typhus brought over by seals, believe it or not. But they got to go over a hill and see, for the first time, a visage, a vista, a landscape, an environment, at least for Europeans. And there's no new ground to break. There's no new place to go. And our society as well has become... I don't know if you guys feel this. I I think you do. Let me know in the chat. But it's become so claustrophobic, so restricted, so tight. You know what there's not a lot of in Star Wars? Paperwork and forms filled out in triplicate and taxes. And you've got to have a permit for that, sir, and a license to braid hair that requires you spend 1,200 hours sitting in a classroom listening to some dunderhead talk about how to braid hair. You need a license for your kids to... Run a lemonade stand on the street corner. You got a license to mow someone's garden. You know, you know it's so claustrophobic. It's so safe. It's so safe. It's asphyxiating. It's and I think that's what, you know, I think this guy's responding to Star Wars like, what a guy's like. We like to explore. We don't mind a little combat. And we like staunch. Boon companions, all aligned like salmons in a swift current for a particular goal of conquest, of victory, of defense, something. Defending Helms Deep, whatever it is. Rescuing Lois Lane. You need your friends. And what is in the Star Wars universe, you know, there's the Jedi. There's, there's all of the people who have they, there's an ancient order of companions who are all steadfastly dedicated to standing together and fighting the bad guys. And there are bad guys, but we're not allowed to fight them. I'm not talking about punching, like even, oh, you know, like you talk about controversial stuff like I talk about and everybody loses their minds. (laughs) Oh, no, he's got facts about brain volume. Ah! Eric is hysterical and it's so claustrophobic. You can't just say things. You can't just say things. I mean, I can't because I'm just going to anyway. <laughs> but, I you, you mean, for most people, I mean, I understand. Like, I'm paid for this. You can help me out at freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. I'm paid for this. So but I, so I can go out there and I can, you know, it's Star Wars of the mind, you know, the lightsaber of reason and facts. The force is with you. The force is philosophy. So I can do my adventuring. I can take on my foes. I can stand firm in the face of disapproval slander I can wage battle I can explore new territory you know for me at least the mental landscape of philosophy is incredible and you're never done and there's always more to reason with and wrestle with and think about and always new data coming in so I think for this I won't say kid but this is young man I I'm almost for sure that this young man would have grown up without a father, and he would have grown up in a female-dominated environment where it would have been, well, be very careful, and, oh, I'm sorry, we had to take those monkey bars down because some child fell and bumped his head, so I'm sorry. Like, uh, I had to go and, and look at a new mattress because my mattress was, I don't know, I think it had Wilma Flintstone's impression on it when we bought it to begin with, so it was getting a little, like, more squished down than... Billy Idol's student futon, and so when we first went to look years ago for pillows, my daughter could, like, jump from bed to bed, and we, you know, we stayed close and all that, but this time, my daughter tried jumping from one bed, no, get down, why? Ah, some kid fell, and, you know, that now we can't knit. Ah! no, no one can jump from bed to bed, because <laughs> a kid fell, and we've become so paranoid about risk, that it's like we don't have any life anymore don't people want to go and confront people who disagree with them and and i don't mean physically i mean like intellectually don't you want to get involved in a robust debate good lord trying to get a, trying to get a debate someone's trying to get a debate going for me at a conference everyone's like nope 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 it's like isn't that isn't that fun? Don't don't you like that? Don't you enjoy that? You know, we don't have pistols at dawn anymore. It's a good thing. Sure, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. But can't we match wits? In an auditorium, can we not get involved in, in wrestling for the truth? It's not an alligator, it's just syllables and facts. But we've become so safe as a society, it's like I mean we now can't stand anyone to be upset or in pain or hurt or we have become so fragile we we're, we're moving around like Laura Wingfield's glass collection in the glass menagerie if you breathe it breaks right this is what this um uh, woman um uh, who's kind of mildly schizophrenic or or whatever it is she's very delicate and it was based upon Tennessee Williams's uh, sister Rose who ended up being institutionalized if i remember rightly and Some guy comes over and he wants to see her glass collection. That's why the play is called The Glass Menagerie, her glass collection of of figurines and stuff. And she's like, be careful if you breathe, it breaks. That's a bit of a feminine thing. (laughs) A bit of a feminine thing, right? I mean, I've said this before. You go back and look at the kind of playgrounds kids used to play in at the turn of the last century, like the 1900s, the 1910s. I mean, they, they would give... I mean, they would give uh, people heart attacks now to to see kids these, like, you know, they're 3,000 degrees in the sun. They're, like, two and a half stories up. And, you know, if you fall down, you'll be clanging your way down like a sausage thrown through a blender. But we can't have. And and when I was a kid, we would just go and play, go and play, go and play, find kids, go and play. there were always kids around. And the neighborhood was safe. Uh, I didn't run into any trouble until right before I was about to leave for Canada when I was eleven. Like a, a couple of days before, I was down at the War Museum, or the Natural History... No, Natural History Museum. The War Museum was in Hendon, I think. The Natural History Museum, and a very merry and chirpy bunch of black youths robbed my friends and I. And we ended up, we were going to the police, we were going to do this whole thing, but they said, oh, you're going to Canada, there's really not much point point in all that. But... um it was safe. You could just roam around, just go. And, and we did go and explore, and that was all new for us. So we went back into the woods in the area of the council sort of flats where where we lived. We would go back into the woods. We'd build our huts. We'd build our forts. We'd we'd play. And I just – I don't think that happens as much anymore for kids. I don't think there's this glorious anarchy of spontaneous negotiation and free play with no structure. Now you've got to drive places. Everything's so structured, and you've got to have referees, and you've got to – like, you know – Half the fun of playing war was duh, 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 I got you. No, you missed. Well, and then you go back to the physics, and like it's half of the half of childhood play is negotiation and disagreements and resolving those disagreements and and maybe being a leader and figuring out how you're going to get people to play stuff. But now everything's so structured. There's no negotiation among the kids. Nobody trusts the kids to find a way to negotiate. It's um. It's uh, it's terrible. I mean, some of it is multiculturalism. Some of it is a lower birth rate. Some of it, of course, is people having kids later, and therefore their kids are in daycare, so they're not out in the neighborhood playing. Well, they call them bedroom neighborhoods, is that right? Where, like, nobody's there during the day, during the evening. Maybe there'll be some kids out Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, but there's no one really around. Oh, yeah. Dirt biking. (laughs) You you ever hear that? um, It's an old Adam Sandler song, piece of shit car. I used to do it at karaoke sometimes. Seven different colors. (laughs) Um, I got a coat hanger to open the door locks and stuff. I got a piece of shit car. Well, all of my bikes, I didn't buy a new bike until I was, I don't know, in my 20s maybe. But uh, yeah, my bikes were all cannibalized. I mean, my friends and I, we would go to, we'd go garbage picking. Can you imagine? these days just go find some dumpsters and roam around (laughs) and see what's in there we just get these giant rolls of paper and this is how i don't know before computers before the video game revolution and my friend and i jamie we would sit there with pencils and you'd push the top of the pencil and it would flick forward and that would be where your car would go around a racetrack and you couldn't hit the sides and and, like this is how we amused ourselves, and that's why dungeons dragons was so great because it was free well cheap anyway but um yeah, we used to go garbage picking, and I used to find bits of bikes, and and you'd just assemble some Franken bike. You know, you never, you were never like even because one wheel was always bigger or smaller than the other, and uh, you know, half the time you'd be worried about the thing falling apart. And you know, when sometimes when you'd turn it because the ball bearings would be kind of jammed in there, they would be like, I don't know, turning the neck of a broken guy or something. It was uh, it was rough, but um, but fun, but fun. And I didn't I didn't want for money much in those days. I do remember it being a buck 90 to go downtown to see a movie. It was 20 cents to get on the bus and a buck 50 to get in to see the movie and my friend and I went to go see Rocky, which was actually a good movie for me because it got me out of um, being more inactive and kind of depressed and I got more into sports. I was on the cross-country running team. I was on the swim team, I was on the water polo team and I played soccer relentlessly and uh, tennis a lot and uh, yeah, it kind of got me moving that and participation. but anyway. So this kid, you know, like, why is he so excited? Because he's seeing people have adventures. He's seeing people risk. He's not being told, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful your whole damn life. And I get, I mean, I get it. I mean, one slip, one disaster, you know, like, the guy in my boarding school. Oh, God. In my boarding school, there was a kid, young blonde boy who was so athletic, it was eerie. Now, I'm semi, I mean, I'm pretty athletic, but, you know, there's some people who are just, like, fish to water. When it, This kid was the soccer champion like you wouldn't believe. Like, you you face that guy down, and it was like he just turned into some sort of oiled lightning quicksilver, and he just, he'd, like, warp past the ball with you like he was uh, something out of a Star Trek episode. It just, he'd, go, he'd be by, like, what happened? You just ended up looking like an idiot, right? And then, um, so, I mean, I know the disaster. Like, I understand that. I want to be sensible and sensitive to all of that because one day we're in the swimming pool. And you know when, when there's injuries kind of floating around, people are like, oh, that's, you know, that's too bad, right? Oh, well, you know, he got, he got a strawberry knee. He, um, he got a bruise. Maybe he got a black eye or, or he slipped or, you know, he hit his ribs or, you know, oh, man, are you okay? You know, that kind of stuff, right? So, you know, there's that kind of injury. And then there's the kind of injury where like everyone just goes silent like oh my god somebody just got really 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 damaged and that happened to this kid my understanding was that he tried to do a flip off the shallow end of the pool he hit his head and he was unconscious and because all the kids all the kids were sort of this when I was six or 7 we they're all sort of playing around and nobody noticed for a while and he you know was carried out on a stretcher and he was not the kind of color that any Caucasian should be or anyone for that matter and oh man, yeah, he uh, he was gone for a long time, and when he came back, I mean, I still see he, he his face and his, his he'd lost control of half of his body. I guess he'd had some sort of brain damage, some sort of oxygen deprivation had happened, and uh, he could barely run and and he could barely speak, and um, he was back in school, so I assume that his intellect was still functioning, but his control over his body was shot, and. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was just terrible. I mean, that's, and, and so I'm aware of that. And, and you do have to be careful. And when I used to do a lot of diving, as a kid, I, I remember a couple of times you do the, the flip and a half, which was sort of my specialty. And, you know, you, you kind of get a sense of whether you're close to that diving board, and you're going to r- come crunching down on it with your skull. And that happened almost a couple of times. It never did. But uh, I used to do so many of those slips. And, you know, there comes a time when you're just like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) You know, that's all deep in the rear view for me now. So this kid, he wants adventure. He wants unfettered risk. He wants to choose for himself glory or disaster, I think. And he just can't get it in this gynocentric, female-heavy, caution, 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 don't offend, don't upset, don't breathe, don't move, don't be loud, don't thump, don't play act, don't play wrestle, don't, Be a boy or be a tomboy. Don't be any of these things. Shh. Can everybody be nice and quiet now? Ugh. It's like we we, we risk everything to get the secure civilization. The secure civilization kills risk, and with it, our soul light goes out. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the ramblings of a guy who... (laughs) odd reasons still kind of focusing on his uh, uh still going to focus on his childhood but um let's um let's get to some of your questions thanks thanks for your patience uh, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate if you want to help out that would be super helpful of course although i will also check out the super chats and other questions as well all right Thank you, uh, everyone. Let's go through your questions. And again, it's an ask-me-anything kind of situation, so let's get it started. Uh, Andrew Davis, thank you so much. Emmon Harper, thank you. Edwin B. says, Stefan, if women were not allowed to vote in any country for 10 years, how would the world change? How would the world change? Well, women support the welfare state. Women support restrictions on freedom of speech. And so you would save freedom of speech and you would save the West from the claustrophobic migrant magnet of the welfare state. So uh, there would be (laughs) quite a few changes. Uh, Ken O says, there is new ground. Go to Papua New Guinea. Most is unexplored. Hmm. Oh, that's a point. That's a point. Uh, Nick Thibodeau, thank you. Uh, 16th, uh, sorry, uh, Andrew Davis says, Stefan, thoughts on William Lane, C- Lane Craig and his use of the Kalam cosmological and teleological arguments for the existence of God? Well, he- he- here's where you find out that there's stuff I don't know, and uh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, enter a name here. Thank you for your donation. Asks, "Where Ruth? Where's Ruth? To which I can only answer what some people think that this show is entirely ruthless. Matt, The fifth, like Malcolm the 10th says, have you seen Cobra Kai? It's pretty damn great. I have not. Nico Angel says, your Minecraft vids are cute as heck. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, We had uh, a friend of my daughter's over for the weekend, which was just a blast. And uh, we did uh, do a Minecraft show, but I'm not sure if I'll get time to to do it anytime soon, like go over it anytime soon. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, And I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to get it. Okay, uh, David Wadham, thank you. Wise Wildfire says flying into a black hole equals exploration and discovery? Uh, No. (laughs) No, no, it doesn't. Um, So I'm sure you guys know this, but for those of you who don't, and and by the way, by the way, the the woman who was supposedly responsible for that photo, at least according to reports that I read, it was actually um, a guy who wrote most of the code for all of that. But anyway, a black hole is super compressed matter, so compressed that, like, the entire world fits into, like, a sugar cube size of a black hole, super compressed matter where the gravitational force is so strong that even light cannot escape its surface, so you cannot fly into a black hole. It's a hole in what we can record, but it's the very opposite of a hole in that it's the most super dense matter in the known universe as far as I know. And so, yeah, I'm sorry to be so annoyingly physics nerd pedantic, but no, you cannot fly. It's not a black hole. It's just an observed, like, we can't observe it because nothing comes back out. Like after you pass the event horizon, you can't can't get back out. Archaeofuturist, thank you. Philip Sueki says Philosophical question Young Co parenting dad. Ethics of relationship with new woman Emergency occurs, save one woman, must save son's mom. Else deprive son of mom. Dilemma. Tired of one night stands. What? Okay, I'll 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 do a flyby of this again. But dum we hit something on the road. Let's look back and see. Young co-parenting dad. Ethics of relationship with new woman. Emergency occurs. Save one woman. Must save son's mom. Else deprive son of mom. Dilemma. Tired of one night stands. Sorry, you'll have to give me uh, uh more on that. I don't know what to mean. Star Knight says, keep up the good work. Thank you. Matt uh, V says, I support bringing back pistols at dawn. Hmm. Can Jules bring the West back? <laughs> uh, Say guy says, you see what's going on in Paris. I think in this time in history there should be more violence. Why do we not see more violence in America like Occupy Wall Street? That is a very interesting question. Now, this is not any kind of avocation of violence. I'm a reason and evidence kind of guy. But um, the reason why we don't see more violence is because the government is still printing and borrowing money right so we will see violence when the government stops printing and borrowing money that's when we're going to start to see some significant violence there's that and also i mean the left is uh, the, the sort of the communist socialist left is positioning itself sort of day by day for when they can unleash violence, right? So they're working with the media to make sure that the media portrays people as Nazis and and far-rights and fascists and and whatever, right? So that there's no sympathy when they unleash violence on those people, right? So they're unpersoning people in terms of social acceptability, and then what they do is they then will unleash violence on those people, and people will cheer because there is a great hunger for violence on the part of the left and, of course, on the part of the extreme right if you're going to sort of put fascism in there, although... Mussolini was originally a Marxist and Hitler was a National Socialist. But, you know, going with the standard narrative, the far left and the far right, both um, uh, very, very thirsty for violence. You know, there's there's a lot of people out there who really like to fight. Oh, now, they don't like to fight evenly, right? They like to sort of overwhelm, which is why the leftists like to disarm the population. But there's a lot of people out there who really like violence. Uh, it is a, a sad and unfortunate aspect of human evolution that violence... You know, it works pretty damn well in a lot of ways. Like violence, is this is just an argument that Noam Chomsky? Like you know, violence works really well. It's why people use it. It it cows people down. It scares people. It shies people away from the truth. It has people second guess themselves and censor themselves. Violence is very effective in society, and there's a reason why the government threatens everyone, and there's a reason why. Uh, The the far-left activists threaten people. Uh, It it, it works. It works. I mean, there's lots of people in Europe who want to say stuff about what's going on and they're just scared. And so, yeah, violence works really well and there's a reason why it is quite common in terms of people's desires to want to use violence because they're bred that way, right? I mean, there's no aspect of the personality that is excluded from genetic predilection. And so... Violence is, well, it's mankind's oldest hobby, right? I mean, violence is is what we do. Violence is the natural state of things. This whole idea that we have law courts that everybody respects and the whole idea that we set aside our differences and we act in a civilized manner and we reason with each other, which is decaying every day, that's way off the beaten path of human history. It's way off the beaten path of human history. I mean, half of the ancient Greek city-states were slaves. You know, they, they they had the death penalty to Socrates for saying things that people didn't like. You know, I mean, hate speech laws are bad and, and immoral, but it's not the death penalty. The punishments that used to be meted out in medieval England to people. Uh, stagger the imagination. I mean, I'm not just talking the beheadings and the hangings. Those were actually kind of later. The torches that people used to have, they used to be disemboweled and their guts used to be pulled out in front of cheering crowds who came there with popcorn and children to enjoy an afternoon's entertainment. There was the being drawn and quartered, right? Uh, hacked in... Uh, there were, you, you'd get a horse, uh, four horses tied to each limb with a rope and just the horses would charge apart and rip some guy limb from limb. Now, that was a pretty fast way to go. There was... Um, breaking people on the wheel, stretching them out slowly, cracking them, like the the, the brutality and the violence. I mean, look, look at the ancient Aztecs, like ripping people's hearts out and eating them. You've got cannibalism and slavery among the indigenous population of America. Uh, you have uh, the, the, the Mayans, uh, the Aztecs, the Incans, the, the amount of brutality that went on there, the, the hand chopping off in, in the Middle East under Sharia, the stoning to death of people. I mean, dear Lord, we are... We are a violent, violent species, and wrestling that violence down into a relatively civilized discourse was the work of thousands of years and countless lives. I mean, the religious warfare that went on in particular in Germany after the Reformation was staggering. I mean, people would, you know, they had the Anabaptists who believed in adult baptism— and they just hold their heads under water and drown them and say, "How do you like your adult baptism now?" as I've said before on the show, there's a traveler in Germany, I think it was the eighteenth century, seventeenth century said you could scarcely see a tree without a body hanging from it. There was a, a movie i don't know if you remember the name of it it's called jack it was about Jack the Ripper and the movie had Jack the Ripper come forward in time and he was watching TV, and Jack the Ripper was saying, like, oh, yeah, this is my kind of world, man. This, these guys got it going on. You know, this is, this is excellent stuff. We are a ferocious species. We are a brutal species, and we've been bred that way for tens of thousands of years. Think of the Colosseums in Rome, where you had people with nets and tridents hacking each other to bits. When I was, um, I don't know, twenty, twenty-one, or something like that, I went with two friends on a vacation to Mexico, and we went to a bullfight because, you know, I was curious, and my God, there's—it's a line from Hemingway: "The roar of the only real beast in the bullfight." Arena, the crowd. The crowd is the beast. Because I thought it was just kind of like a dance with a bull, and then, you know, but no, they they slice it, they hack it, the shoulder opens up. I mean, it is the disassembly of a living animal in front of a cheering crowd. It was kind of sickening. I was really mad at that guy, too, because we filmed a bunch of it and filmed the vacation. And then he was like, yeah, sure, you can x ray my film on the way back out. Lost it all. But anyway, we are. Brutal. We are a brutal, brutal species. That's the default condition of human beings is sociopathy. Like animals, right? I mean, but with ideology, which makes it even worse, right? I mean, you guys know that when a male lion takes over a female, he just kills all the children. Because that's what evolution would demand that he do, so that he doesn't invest resources into genes that aren't his. Brutality is the natural order of the animal world. Empathy outside your own family, your own particular clan, your own particular tribe is non-existent, right? So the ideologies out there that have far higher moral obligations to in-group members and perhaps none or even negative moral obligations to out-group members, that's the natural order of things. There's a reason why those ideologies are growing and spreading, because you hate the out-group and you love the in-group. And in all computer modeling simulations of group conflicts, which is different from global warming it's not projections, but all computer simulations models of of human conflict, if you have in-group preference, out-group hostility, you win every time. There's a reason why the left only promotes their own kind and hates the other non-leftists or anti-leftists, right? And there's a reason why the groups who have in-group preferences do so well, which is why whites aren't allowed to have in-group preferences, right, in the modern world, because... Well, we we got to pay taxes, right, so everyone else, multicultural experiment can work out. So, yeah, we are, we are a vicious, brutal, demonic, monstrous, evil species as a whole. And this little bit of civility that we've managed to wrestle out of the brutalities of human nature over the past 200 years or so, That ain't natural. And women are just as brutal as men. Women are just as brutal as men. And if you want to break an in-group preference of any group, you work on the women to try and develop out-group preferences among the women, and it just flows from there. So that's the natural order of things. And so the fact that there are people out there who are thirsting to use violence and love being bullies, well, yeah, we're the exception, you understand. We're like the we're like the genetic experiment that nature is doing to see if it possibly works and it doesn't it oh it doesn't when there's a government it doesn't when there's government indoctrination it doesn't like it just doesn't work it just doesn't work it doesn't work universal morality is philosophically sound but in the presence of a state and of needy-greedy people voting to take away other people's resources, it's a complete disaster. It's a complete disaster. So, yeah, the left is positioning themselves because they have this this built-up... Well, I mean, the left, I mean, they hate... because They've been lied to, right? They've been lied to, and they've been told that the only reason people are rich is because they steal, and therefore they can imagine that they're Robin Hood, and they can go and... But, but basically, they just want to do... Well, it's the old thing. Some men just want to watch the world burn, right? So, yeah, the left is positioning themselves for violence, and... Uh, as it stands right now, um, pretty much looks like they're going to get it. So, yeah, the violence will be coming. Uh, pod says, refood. Okay, so that's a family of origin. So if you have uh, abusive family members, usually parents, of course. If you have abusive parents growing up, you don't have to see them as an adult, right? You, you're free to see them. You're free not to see them. You don't have to see them. Um, which is exactly what I was told when I was growing up about all relationships, right? Because I was I was um, raised, of course, in the big brewing, simmering pot of feminism and men are pigs and the patriarchy is evil and all that kind of stuff. And I was always told that a woman, you see, a woman, if she's in a relationship that she just doesn't find satisfying, she can just leave. It didn't even have to be abusive. Oh, she's being, Of course, she was being beaten up or, or whatever, right? She's verbally abused or physically abused. She should just get out. But even if it was just unsatisfying, right? Like the majority of women who file for divorce just say that they're unsatisfied. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, so sure. roll a grenade into the tent called the nuclear family because you're dissatisfied. But um, I was told that if you weren't happy in a relationship, you could just leave. I'm like, okay, well, women all told me that... <laughs> If you're not happy in a relationship, you can just leave. And, um, of course, women choose to be in a marriage, right? You, you date a guy. You get engaged to a guy. You choose to marry. So it's all choice. You don't choose your parents. You don't choose your parents at all. I do remember some woo-woo mystical woman telling me once, yes, but we do choose our parents in a deeper sense. I'm like, <laughs> to hell with your woo-woo bullshit and <laughs> choose our parents. Come on. Well, you chose your parents because they have a lesson to teach you. (laughs) Yeah, I chose the child-beating crazy woman. And yeah, yeah, I chose for my dad to be in South Africa because it teaches me geography. (laughs) What is that old line? War is America's... I don't know. War is the world's way of trying to teach Americans geography. But... um, so, yeah. So if you, and I've said this from the beginning of the show, and, and, you know, if, if you're going to separate from parents, uh, it, you know, first of all, sit down and talk with them and try and work things out. Tell them what your issues are. Tell them what your grievances are and, and really try and work it out. Don't separate in general from parents without talking to a therapist, without going through therapy, because it's a big deal. It shouldn't be, but it is because it's such a social taboo, which I kind of found out, you know, if you're just kind of sailing along merrily saying, oh yeah, no, I was told that if you're not happy in a relationship, you can just leave and it's empowering. It's good for you. Good for you. You're not putting up with second best. You're, you're, you're being responsible for your own happiness. You're taking ownership of your own life and you're refusing to put up with something that's unsatisfying for you. I'm like, wow, that's been pretty destructive to my family, but I guess if that's what people believe, that's what people believe. So then, you know, I start the show and people are like, oh, you know, I ah, got to go and see my abusive parents. I'm like, why? (laughs) Why? I don't tell anyone to leave anyone because I don't tell people what to do. But, of course, the media was like, oh, he's breaking up families. It's like they never said that about the feminists. But I guess that's because they were pursuing the left's agenda. So So anyway, that's what uh, defooing is separation from your family. And the reason you use foo is family of origin. I don't know if it's my word or not, but family of origin is not. Just so when you say you're leaving your family, it's differentiated from any current family you might have, like a wife or whatever. But uh, anyway, so this guy says refood, which means he went back. So I guess he separated from his family of origin, and then he went back. So he said refood a while back due to mental breakdown and needing support. What are the mental slash subconscious consequences of refooing? Out now for good, but what damage may I have done to myself? Thanks. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I'm sorry to hear about your mental breakdown. And, you know, any port in a storm, as far as this goes, I don't know. Out now for good, but what damage may I have done to myself? Okay, this is my general rule. I haven't talked about it in a while, so I'll, I'll keep this brief. This is my general rule. All is permitted as long as you're honest with yourself. Right? All, all is permitted as long as you're honest with yourself. The moment you lie to yourself, that's kind of important, right? If you lie to yourself, you're setting up a very uneasy relationship with yourself. So, all is permitted as long as you're honest to yourself. Now, I don't mean axe-murdering people. I'm honestly, right? I don't mean any of that. I'm talking about, like, interpersonal issues, right? It all is permitted as long as you're honest with yourself and as long as you know why you're doing it. As long as you know why you're doing it. And if you know why you're doing something and you're relentlessly honest with yourself, you kind of can't go wrong, at least in my experience, from there. So... That would be my suggestion. Just, you know, if you went back because you really needed just a place to stay, then you are honest with yourself and you say, well, I went back because I really needed a place to stay. And so I think that's, uh, that's the way that I would, I would take it and that's the way that I would do it. Um, let's see here. Uh, Tyler Johnson. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Satoshi Bear says, Toe Rogan looks like a thumb. Yeah, you know, Joe Rogan, bold jokes. It's kind of easy, you know. So, all right. Huzzah Gamer says, do you think Trump's response to the question about pardoning Julian Assange is going to harm his chances for 2020 election? Well, we're a long way from that election, my friends. What is it, still a year and a half or more? Is it November 2020? I okay. don't But um, so Trump said he loved WikiLeaks when Wiki, WikiLeaks was leaking stuff damaging to Hillary and then he was asked about Julian Assange more recently, and he said, I don't really know much about WikiLeaks and all that. Listen, that's a clear sign that he does not want to be perceived as interfering with whatever investigation is going forward, which means that the investigation that's going forward is most likely to be beneficial to Julian Assange in the long run. So, you know, uh, if there's something that's going on legally with someone and you're the president, you can't say... Nah, that guy should totally be free. He should be exonerated. He's a hero because then you're perceived as interfering. Blah blah blah. Right? So he he had the right answer. You know, if um, uh, if he said, "Oh, that guy should go to jail too," and so on again, that's you know, you gotta just you gotta understand where he's coming from. He's got reporters like, can you imagine? Like every time you take a deep breath, there's ten thousand people saying he's gonna sneeze. I mean, that's kind of. I mean, what the guy handles is is. I mean, it's really, really astonishing. So, um, no, I think that Julian Assange is going to do pretty well out of his. Um, I mean, he may get a slap on the wrist. He may get, um, uh, I mean, time served for his hole in the wall in the Ecuadorian embassy. Time served. I mean, he's. I don't think that really bad things are going to happen to Julian Assange because he just knows where too many bodies are buried. So Trump is doing the right thing with regards to being completely neutral in a potential legal situation, and I think that bodes well for Julian Assange. I hope that makes sense. MO, thank you very much. Jason Lozano, favorite critter to eat. Oh, you're just going to get me in trouble with anyone and everyone. Um, I like me a nice piece of fish. All right. Uh, Edwin B. says, Stefan, should physicians be forced to accept and treat patients with low reimbursement government insurance, Medicaid? Well, no, of course not. Of course not. Physicians should not have a government-provided monopoly market on pro- the provision of healthcare. Provision, uh, that there should be no such thing as Medicare and no such thing as Medicaid, and the free market should determine risk along with lawsuits of various medical issues. The intrusion of government into healthcare is why healthcare in America is fairly crappy, but still better than up here in Canada. Uh, so there's a couple of things you need to reference. So first of all, look up my interviews with Dr. Kevin Smith of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. He saved my life. Opened me up like a piñata down here on my neck. I went up with some delicate squid-like gollum instruments and, and pulled out a cancerous tumor from my neck to the point where it has not come back and thanks again to him for, for all of that. And also, so he's got. Uh, I've done a couple of interviews with him, and I can't recommend those guys highly enough. Literally saved my life. So if you got an issue, go talk to them. So um, also, I did interviews with Dr. Mary Ruart, W, sorry, R U W A R T, and she's got math out there that says that the FDA has caused the deaths, if I remember rightly, of about five million Americans. They're not saving people at all. They've caused the deaths of about five million Americans. Because they've kept off the market drugs, which are perfectly safe and accepted in other countries, and that has caused the death of premature deaths of millions of Americans. So, no, the government should just stay the hell out of healthcare. Ah, Dr. Rod Long, great porn name and also a good professor, uh, uh, Roderick Long. He's got uh, just do Roderick Long and, and healthcare, and um, he's got an article basically saying that the reason. Why healthcare is so expensive? Because of the government. That there was a healthcare crisis a little over a hundred years ago in America, and what it was was healthcare was too cheap. For one day's wages, you got access to a doctor for a year, as being part of a large or a friendly society. You know, like the, the Shriners and so on, a kind of a leftover group of these. So no, there should be no compulsion in the area of healthcare. Childhood Institute thank you for your donation says how did you deal with loneliness in your 20s i.e. in moments when you lacked philosophical friends and a quality romantic partner hmm I was actually talking about this with someone the other day I I don't know that I've ever experienced loneliness (laughs) I'm so populated in my head (laughs) I'd like a little bit No, I don't. Like, I was thinking about this the other day, because I know people complain about this, and I I take it very seriously. It's a very, very big issue. So I was lucky when I was younger, and I read an article by Malcolm Gladwell about this. There just happened to be a group of us who just were super smart, and it was kind of like an odd little aggregation, like the planets kind of lining up. I mean, I got one friend from, I mean, just thinking my Dungeons and Dragons crew, one of them became an English professor, one of them became an econ professor, one of them became a professor of mechanical engineering, uh, another one became a writer, uh, I'm doing this, like, there was just this group, this this group of, of smart people who weren't like, um, you know, like that, that sort of uh, Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, this sort of semi-autistic, narcissistic, whatever, right? Like, he saves all his paychecks because he says everything I want to buy hasn't been invented yet. But no, we were all pretty social and we played together, we debated together, we introduced each other to books. Like, it was a really good crew. And, you know, I will be eternally grateful for the stimulation. I had other friends who were more nihilistic but funnier, which is a combination that happens quite, quite often. But, yeah, the group of people who were just very smart really helped uh, simulate. And, of course, it was one of them who gave me my first copy of The Fountainhead, which changed a lot for me. And earlier than that, one of them had given me one of Aristotle's books. And before that, one of them had given me Crime and Punishment. And it was just like, you know, like just this old faithful Vesuvius Geyser of Krakatoa building mental structures. So uh that gave me i enjoy i don 't know I mean how much you guys care about my personal life, but I enjoy like that time in the morning when you wake up and to to my love what it is you want to do with your day to shape your intention as someone once said to me, My love, what it is you want to achieve with your day? And I love that time, head nestled in the pillow birds singing outside, light coming in through the window. It's quiet. It's peaceful. And I can just turn things over in my mind. I can solve problems. I can figure out what it is that I want to talk about. I can mull. And it's like I got 12 Rubik's cubes all rolled around in my brain. Like, uh, yeah, so this friend of mine, I told him we can't we can't picture more than eight or nine things in our mind at the same time. He didn't believe me at all. We had a bet, and he couldn't. Right? I mean, he was very you know like you, you think of one light, two lights, three. You can get to seven or eight, and then they start to dissolve at the beginning. And I'm like, you can only hold eight or nine things anyway. I just remember that from when I was a kid. I also remember one of the great athletes in school. I gave blood, and he said, well, he didn't want to give blood because he had a competition. So I arm wrestled him and won, and then he gave blood. <laughs> I remember that guy; it's really nice. But. um So I don't generally experience loneliness. At least I can't remember experiencing loneliness. And so, you know, and I hate to sort of... I I don't want you to feel bad. I mean, I don't want you to feel bad for this um, at all. Like, oh, well, Steph doesn't deal with loneliness. That must mean I'm... It's worse. No, it's not. Like, everyone has their different things that they need to deal with, right? And so... I have my things that I need to deal with. This loneliness isn't one of them because I'm pretty well populated up in here, you know. I mean, I I have conversations and debates with myself. I I wait for inspiration. I I have this odd thing. Like, I did this response to Rationality Rules recently, and, oh, man, it it was crazy because I did three takes of an hour and a half each. First take was good, but then I kind of missed something or th- I wasn't it wasn't like uh, yeah I know when I've got the clincher of the argument and I did that and I was a bit a, a premature elaboration all over my keyboard and then I did another one and I mulled it over and I made some notes and I talked about it with people and I'm like ah it's good you know I'm 80 percent and I ah, you know and then I didn't and I was like I ah, just do another one and I rarely do more than one take but this one I did like three soup to nuts takes just to uh just to get it right and So I always have philosophical problems to work on, issues to solve, pushbacks against irrational arguments. So I don't really experience loneliness too much because I'm busy in my brain a lot, sometimes perhaps too much, but I don't really deal with loneliness. So the question of loneliness to me, though, is it's always not what am I feeling but what does my feeling want me to do? Right? So feelings are not just things that sit in you like some undigestible piece of food. Feelings are spurs to action. And they can also be spurs to inaction, right? Like the fight or flight, right? So if you're in the woods and you, you hear some something snap on the ground, you might freeze. Because the fear is... So fear can sometimes promote inaction, and fear can sometimes promote oh, f- f- the flight, right, Action or aggression, or punching back, or fighting back, or whatever it is. So the question is, what is the loneliness trying to get you to change in terms of your behavior? And what's just popped into my mind, why <laughs> so I don't deal with loneliness, was there's if you read my first book, well, my first book in this genre, it's called On Truth, The Tyranny of Illusion, And there is a section at the end of it about you you leave the city of lies, you cross the desert, and you get to the village of truth. And it's not very well populated, and it's a little dilapidated, but here we are careful with each other. We are honest with the facts. And there's not many of us here, but the few that are here are far more populous than the empty souls of the city. Because you can have a thousand people around you who aren't talking to you the isolation in the crowd, or you can have a few people around you who really get you, and the multitude will make you lonely, and the small number of high-quality people will assuage any loneliness that you might have. So you might be stuck in the null zone between the city, the empty city, and the lightly but quality-populated village of truth. So... There's no turning back. Just, just keep going on until you find people who you can talk to. So I hope that helps. What is your feeling telling you to do? Because your feeling will continue until it is satisfied that it is no longer needed, right? So you, you get the fight or flight until you're safe. MO says, 42-year-old mom died last year, and I think I want a child. Girlfriend of 12 years doesn't. I cheated on her, and it's been hard before thoughts 42 year old mom died last year guys you got to give me more i mean i'm not asking for an essay and you don't have to give me memoirs from the house of the dead but what does this mean 42 year old mom okay so you're a 42 year old mom no because you want a child so 42 year old mom died last year and i think i want a child oh girlfriend sorry girlfriend of 12 years doesn't Look, if you're cheating on a girl, just break up. Just, just break up with her. Just for, do, do the decent, honorable thing. Don't use her, right? Just, just if if you cheated on someone, it's over. Just break up with her. I know it's a twelve years and so on, but if you want a child and she doesn't, if you really want a child and she doesn't, you're going to resent the hell out of her if you let her strip you of fertility just go find someone you can have a child with who's going to be a great mom and recognize that cheating is it's leaving the relationship without leaving the relationship and that's that's a really isolated place to be so uh, Leo says you mentioned in a talk that Freud had a calling and denied it how does one know it's real oh, I'm sorry that's i I can't remember that I'm, I'm sure I did but ah uh, let's see here Anderson Ribeiro says have you ever feared for your life or your families why is it that we never see your family on videos also why don't you have a producer anymore well you know things change we worked together for five years it was a great working relationship but you know things change uh, and so that's fine why do we never see your family on videos well I mean I can't make the decision for my daughter and my wife is a private person so have I ever feared for my life and my family well yeah of course of course I mean of course All right, Mrs. Friendzone says, please grow your beard. Every great man needs one. Well, you know, the beard's funny too because uh, I'm somewhat partial to the beard just because I don't really like shaving, but my wife prefers me smooth shaven. But because I'm being pretty harshly suppressed uh, on YouTube these days, views are going down. I'm trying to sort of work them back up and so on. And because people have said that they prefer it, they prefer me with a beard. It's like, yeah, I'll <laughs> if this helps views, I'll 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 grow a beard and all that. So, and you know, if you guys are listening to this, and and given that I am being suppressed, I'm not showing up in search results. I think suggested videos are down. You need to share. I mean, I mean they need to, sh- you need to share. This, this the, the only way that this is going to be sustainable is is if you guys share. And you know, like, I'm sorry about that because I know it can be a little tricky to share someone so controversially sane as I am, but uh, it would be really really helpful. So. All right, Daddy Dragon says, the UK left the EU on the 29th of March, 2019 at 11 p.m. and a court case is in the Royal Courts of Justice. MSM will not cover it. Will you? Yes. Yes, I have been meaning to do something on the EU, but uh, I have, um, I will tell you. So I've I've, uh, finished, um, what is it, 40 plus slides on the truth about Plato because oh, I just missed the philosophy. And you know, I like, I know that the, the, the current events is important and and I do it and that it gets views. And I know the philosophy of current events is, is essential, but I miss just the pure philosophy stuff. Like I did some podcast in my car in an introduction to concept formation, which is like, I loved it. And it was like, oh, this makes me so happy. And it's like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. I mean, I think it's a great show, but uh, people are like, well, it's not about Paris burning. So, all right. Uh, Johnny Drake, thank you. Kim Lee says, what do you think about the environmental destruction caused by animal agriculture? Would you ever consider going plant-based for mostly or mostly plant-based? Uh, I was actually uh, a vegetarian for quite some time, but I'm like I'm sorry. I, I just maybe it's I don't work out super hard, but I do work out. And I just I, w- I just was dragging. Like I I I mean I was taking my subs, uh, supplements and all that, but um so now I do eat some meat and some fish from time to time. So I think that people should minimize consumption of animal products, uh, certainly the animals themselves. Uh, you know, I I think it's better all around. Uh, so that's my my suggestion. Uh, Debjit says, uh, thank you, it says, what are all the types of programming that you look for in your call-in shows? Examples, what are women good for? Well, listen, I mean, and for those who've emailed in, it's sometimes because we don't have a call-in show anymore, right? I mean, there's not like a scheduled thing where I go for four hours. And I think that the call-in shows are better because of that. So I would say that um, just be persistent, just just keep pinging me, and and we'll work it out. So um, it, sometimes I can just be like, oh, I've I've got an hour and a half, and and an email just came in. Let's let's go, right? So uh, I'm sorry. I wish I had a better way to schedule it, but but I haven't. Radar Ashwood says, Steph, you are handsome. X-O-X-O. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Uh, Sheen Lanton says, Hello, Stefan. What do you believe caused the AIDS crisis in the 80s? Or do you agree that it was a cultural revolution in the late 1960s? Thank you. Well, the AIDS crisis, as far as I understood it, was um, it came from uh, um, uh, somebody who who ate uh, a chimpanzee or an ape or an animal. As far as I understand it, I'm no expert on this. But... You know the, the 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 gay community, not all of it. And and Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall has written about this. You know, I'd rather be home with a book than out at a gay pride parade. But the the gay community can be hypersexual, uh, and uh, it is um, the, the male sex drive without the female. You know, at least what used to be the case of the female breaks, and um, yeah, it's it's rough. You know, it can be pretty rough. I mean. I had uh, roommates when I was doing my master's degree. Uh, they had sex. They met and then they went on a date. That's I mean it's really outside the pale for us heteros at least those of us who were around in the 70s and 80s. I mean I wasn't having sex in the 70s of course, right? But um so that is a a big a big problem it's a big problem. Like Freddie Mercury uh, was gay, of course, so, well, bisexual, drifting towards gay. And uh, he, um, you know, I was just watching a documentary uh, the other day and someone who knew him said, oh, there's a dangerous disease, are you slowing down? And he says, I'm doing everything with everyone. My philosophy is effort, you know, and effort seems to be what happened, right? I mean, one of my uh, roommates was telling me a story about how somebody phoned it was the wrong number he ended up chatting with the guy the guy came over and they had sex now i mean it's it i don't think it worked out very well for them the the older gay men i mean it's it's a very body obsessed culture in, in a lot of ways and of course youth obsessed culture in a lot of ways i knew a guy who was um he'd come to town from another city and he was a ballet dancer and, I mean, the, they were just, because he was lean and, and, of course, muscular and a good-looking guy, and, and they were just circling him like sharks. And he was, like, kind of overwhelmed by it and, and found it to be, um, I mean, fairly predatory. At least that was his experience. And so it is, um, it, is, it is a tough culture. It's a very creative culture. It can be a very funny culture. Uh, and again, this is not like one big blob of, of gay culture, right? I mean, this is just some things that I've observed. I've had many friends who've been gay. I was in the theater school and so. Um, but, you know, because I've been working on this stuff with Plato, because Plato was gay and Socrates had had a family and so on, right? And I don't know. It's, it's a challenge, you know. Is it the case that there is less concern for the future because you're not a parent right most gay people most gay men are not parents and is it the case that there's less concern for the future less concern for consequences i mean i remember dave barry many years ago wrote something about like he was i think he was a smoker a friend of his was a smoker saying you know i can look at my kids faces and i think if i keep smoking i may not around to see them graduate from high school and that thought is so stressful i had to go have a cigarette some of you always makes these jokes mr eyeball plucker he's a funny guy but um is that the case? You know, like the criticism of John Maynard Keynes, who was gay, when he was asked, well, how do you, does the government pay off all this accumulated debt? What happens in the long run? And he says, well, in the long run, we're all dead. Well, it's not really the same if you're a parent. It's not really the same perspective. And I know someone criticized about that, and they, like, a hammered for that, which, you know, but these are legitimate questions to ask. So, uh, I mean, here's here's a here's an interesting perspective. Not that I'm recommending this, but it's just an interesting perspective that if um, more if gay sex was harder to come by, obviously then the spread of AIDS would have been far less, if if not virtually non-existent, right? Because there was always this this talk: oh, the you know the, the uh, AIDS is going to break out into the heterosexual community, and I mean it never really did, right? Outside of the intravenous drug users and so on, like it never really did, and I think that just tells you like it's it's um, it's a kind of hedonistic, live-for-now world in a lot of ways. And again, there's tons of exceptions, but that's um, that's a lot of it. So it is uh, it is pretty tough. Uh, and, and it definitely is tough when you when you get older, uh, when you get sort of, you know, Quentin Crispy. So, all right. Garth Vader, <laughs> your April Fool's was awesome, got me good. Was interested in the point you made about no votes for tax-negative citizens. If you're for, against that, and why? Well... It's really around this question of conflict of interest. So when I, I mean, I'm very aware of conflict of interest, right? Like, I mean, if, uh, you know, when I say the Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma Surgery Center or Surgery Center of Oklahoma is fantastic, I don't get a commission, right? I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to promote things that, I mean, I'm very, very aware of conflict of interest. And, of course, it was drilled into me when I was uh, on a board in the business world, Confl- conflict of interest is very important. And so conflict of interest, can you can you vote objectively on welfare if you're dependent on welfare? And the answer is, well, no, you can't. Now, people could say, well, can you vote objectively if you're paying for welfare? It's like, well, you can vote more objectively. So, yeah. I mean, I don't get to vote in an Apple shareholder meeting if I don't have any Apple shares, right? I don't get to vote on a board if I'm not on that board, I don't get to vote in a school board if I'm not on a, in, involved in that school board. I, I just, like, if you're not somehow contributing, then how do you get these votes? Uh, how do you get to vote? You, you Everybody knows. You can't be objective about it. You can't be realistic about it. And your vote is being bought. You know, it's all, we've got a voter fraud. It's like all well, welfare state is voter fraud as far as I'm concerned because, you're paying people to vote for you. And if someone comes along and says, well, we've got to change this because, look, we're running out of money. Like, the, the, it is this bizarre world, right? If you you understand unfunded liabilities, you understand the national debt, you understand the the fact that a whole bunch of bonds that were sold in the um, oh9 crisis uh, is, you know, like the, the unfunded pension liability is all coming due. And no, nobody talks about it. You know, say, oh, well, Trump is spending is up, spending is up. Well, it is up, and it shouldn't be, but the majority of American government spending is mandated. You can't, you can't change it. So nobody's—anybody you know, who's not talking about this, if they're interested in sort of social policy or public policy, anybody who's not sort of saying, yeah, well, but it's, you know, like, should we spend money on this? Should we spend money it on it's Like, but it's all unsustainable, Right. It's like saying, where should we go for dinner after you've already jumped off the cliff? It's like, well, uh, we could talk about it, but the ground's kind of coming up, so maybe we could duck and roll or something. So it would be a step in the right direction, but it's not imminent, right? Of course, right? Because we all know that if you say, well, you have to be tax positive in order to vote, everybody's going to go completely mental. And everybody's then going to be like, well, you can't have poor people suffer and poor people are going to suffer and you know, the people who are sick are going to suffer. And it's like, well, look, I'm like, I'm sorry about all of this. I didn't make this damn system and I've been talking about it since I was old enough to shave. So the reality is that we, we there's no money. I mean, you say you can do whatever you want. There's no money. There's no money. We're so deep in the hole, we can't, see the sky and you want to spend and you don't want to talk about like it's just crazy and everybody shies away from this topic because it can't be solved in any easy way and so we're in a situation now well some people are going to have to suffer if we're going to have a soft landing or everyone's going to suffer like hell if we have a hard landing but nobody wants to talk about that because now any kind of suffering is is uh unacceptable you just show one crying person and you know society falls apart right Anthony Skinner says, you should do a breakdown on a movie called Bad Times at the El Royal and keep up those goat Minecraft vids. <laughs> yeah, it would be funny. My daughter and I do play goat simulator occasionally, and uh, it's quite a lot of fun. Ryan Woodard says, might politicians be better as influencers by way of lobbying the private sector to achieve political ends instead of being lobbied? Could this be feasible, plausible, effective institutionally? might politicians be better as influencers by way of lobbying the private sector to achieve political ends? You mean lobbying for a company to build a wall? Sorry, don't really have that. All right, Uh, Hannah O. says, Steph, any advice for stay-at-home dadding? Ah, it's great. It's great. It's a thrill. And advice? um. Um, oh, get out of the house, go roam, roam around, get into nature, uh, all of that kind of stuff. I think kids in nature go hand in hand, and kids raised in nature uh, have, I think, in my opinion, like more robust immune systems. They they are happier. Kids raised in nature have less of this, like, "ee," you know, a, a frog stuff, which is kind of hysterical. So yeah, just get them out in nature and, and all of that, and just really enjoy the conversations. And never, you know, like I was, I was having a long conversation with my daughter today about shorting stocks and how you can make money when a stock price goes down. And, you know, to her credit, she stuck with it for like 20 minutes before she, she was bored, which was fair enough. But she got it. You know, she's explaining it back like she's 10, right? I mean, never underestimate what your kids can process and understand and, and don't talk down to them. Like when they're little, little kids, you know, they like the high voice and, oh, good job. Right? But, you know, like tone it down and just get to adult talk as quickly as possible. Like, you know, you hear me talking with my daughter when we do shows together and well, it's fine. All right, Marisha Dark, how brilliant is Trump's sanctuary state gambit? I don't agree. I think it's terrible. I mean, yeah, you can say, well, it got Cher to change her mind, right? So everyone says, uh, oh, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the illegal immigrants are so good for the economy. So Trump says, okay, well, we're just shipped into the sanctuary cities. And everyone's like, no, no, no. It's like, this is where MAGA has got to? This is what Trump supporters are now satisfied with? Are you kidding me? Guy just handed out what? Or his government just handed out another couple of hundred thousand visas for workers to come swarming into the country. The border is in tatters. There's no wall. There's no rejection of birthright citizenship. Are you kidding me? There's no control over immigration. This is the big victory now? is, well, they're pouring into the country, but we're going to use them as political pawns to humiliate the Democrats. Really? That's what you voted for? That's what you sacrificed for? That's what you burned relationships for and risked your job for and sent money in for? That's, that's it? Well, they can stay, but we're going to use them as pawns to make the Democrats look dumb. That's, that's, that's it? That's it? That's sad. That's sad. That's terrible. That's not where things should be. Now, you could say, well, he's going to wait for a second term and blah, 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 blah. No. Voter fraud is going to be rampant, in my opinion. The demographic stuffing of the ballot is going to be ever escalating and ever increasing. So, no. The sanctuary state gambit, it's like what Churchill said about Dunkirk, right? So, when when Hitler's panzer divisions were crushing the French and the German the British Expeditionary Army and the French Army up against the northwest of, of France, up against the Channel, and they sent fishing boats over and rowboats over. You know, you saw the movie, right? So they, everyone's like, yay, yay, we evacuated our soldiers. And Churchill said, wars are not won by successful evacuations. I mean, it's good, don't get me wrong, it's good that they evacuated, but that's not how you win a war, that's how you just don't immediately lose it disastrously. So, no, I don't, uh, I don't view that as a victory at all, not compared to what was being promised. Now, we'll see what Attorney General Barr is able to do with the deep state and whether Obama spied on people, whether the <laughs> Whether he bought some non-American political standards to, to spying right on on political enemies. I mean, if if uh, if the indications play out, it certainly seems to be the case that that uh, the heads of the Alphabet Defense and Protection Agencies and and Clinton and and Obama knew and cheered and encouraged the spying using the incredible, awesome power of the state to spy on political opponents for the purposes of taking an election. That is, in my view, that's treason of the first order. Treason of the first order. Now, if he's able to do something with that, which he probably won't be able to because it's going to drag on and on and, you know, People say, well, if, if, you know, people get arrested who are high up in the Obama administration, there's going to be a civil war. I hope not. I hope not. But, uh, you know, there's that old saying that if there is to be war, let it come in my time so my children may live in peace. I'd rather no war at all. But, um, and then they should just say, no, we can't enforce the law. They're, they've got too big. They've got too powerful. So good luck, everyone. So no. Sanctuary state gambit. It's a marketing move. It's a branding move. It doesn't change the numbers of people pouring into the country, which are going up in some areas. No. Don't 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 lower your standards to be satisfied by that garbage. Oh, I scored brownie points against shear. Yeah, that's gonna save the Republic. All right, Geek chorus says I've learned so much from you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Andrew Brill, who was your bet for U.S. President 2020? Trump so far. Ben S., did the Enlightenment doom Western civilization? If Jesus Christ is sovereign, he is not only sovereign on Sunday morning. Our kings once bowed to the king of kings and the kingdom prospered. Yeah, well, I miss Christianity because UBB didn't take as well as I was hoping it was going to. So, no, it's not the Enlightenment. It's not progress that dooms humanity. It's not... Oh, you know, well, you get comforts of civilization and you get soft. No, no, it's the state. It's the state. It's the state. It's the state. You know, going over this with um, fascist totalitarian Plato's Republic from Hell. Yeah, let's take the children and raise them in com- com- communal vats, in, in dragon taming pits of collectivism. And that way, nobody knows whose kids are whose, and, and the, the, you could end up with brother marrying sister. They won't even know it. It's like, it's a great plan. You. Lunatic, but you know, like a lot of Plato's work, a lot of Aristotle's work, a lot of, I mean, political philosophy, Oh, what, what's the best form of government? What kind of government should we have? How should that government be structured? How should it deal with this? How should he deal? I mean, look at Plato's the the, the laws, right? His his practical goal of of how you run a society or a city you know, with its five thousand and forty citizens and all these rules and It's all, what kind of government should we have? It's the wrong question. Why should we have government at all? That's the question. That's the question that needs to be on the table. People tried for 50,000 years to come up with the best institution of slavery, most economically productive, and best institution of slavery, Funny story, turns out that the best institution of slavery was no slavery, and we've been trying for tens of thousands of years to come up with the best system of government. It's always a complete freaking disaster. So it's time to start thinking outside that box just a little bit, my friends. Not what kind of government. Why government at all? What a disaster. So, no, there's only a cycle of civilization because we place right at the center of society a squid-like, blood-soaked tentacle entity of historical disaster that regularly corrupts human beings and turns them into monsters, it's not a cycle of history. It's because we keep relying on the state, on oligarchical, hierarchical, collectivist, coercive, violent institutions to beat humanity, to terrorize humanity, to jail humanity, to coerce humanity into a better place. Yeah, try beating a woman into loving you. Try stating a society into virtue. Never going to happen. Have you ever heard of holding Hans Hermann Hoppe in your show? Yeah, Democracy of the God That Fails. I thought his argument about aristocracy is interesting, which is basically that aristocracy is better than democracy because the king wants to leave the kingdom to his son. So he's going to be more responsible. I mean, it's interesting. We'd have to talk about parenting, and that probably means that he wouldn't. Uh, he's a big fan of spanking, right? So as far as I understand it. So, All right. Let's see here. Uh Well, I guess we got some more. <laughs> Sorry about this. Let me just uh, go uh, down a little bit here. Do you see a resurgence of the right in response to the left? Uh, the Democrat Party is really the party close to splitting. Oh, yeah, but the new crop of Democrats, right? Like um, Kamala Harris, Ilhan Omar, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, I mean, they're very much to the left, and, and whoever comes after them are going to be just straight-up communists, right? I mean, this just, just leftward drift. Every organization not specifically dedicated to the right drifts leftward. And even, I mean, what does the right mean these days? What does the hell does the right even mean? These days can't control immigration, can't get rid of the welfare state, can't reestablish private property, can't get rid of activist judges, can't get rid of old age pensions, can't get rid of Obamacare. I mean, what the hell does it mean? This Trump was like the last desperate throw of the dice from an increasingly panicked population to to slow the rising tide of the red tide of statism. There's been some cuts in taxes, which is good. Don't get me wrong, that's better, but uh, what does the right even mean anymore? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not a rightist. I'm not a conservative. Um, They've been dragged so far to the left. I mean, for those who wanted to watch my Why I Was Wrong About Running for Office, just have a look and imagine if somebody gave that speech. All right. Ryan Walker says, any advice from your experience on writing new books, novels, and blogs? Have many ideas much influenced by you and Jordan Peterson mentally not knowing where to start. One novel idea including both of you. <laughs> I hope it's a gay romance. Um, but, so so here's what you need to do. I'll give you the the 101 because it's how I started. So, first of all, just write great stuff. And secondly, just find a place to get it out there. You just, I mean, for me, it happened to be Lou Rockwell's site, uh, which is well worth reading, Uh, Lou, L-E-W, Lou Rockwell. And uh, he, I think, hid my stuff later, but uh, he published my first bunch of articles, and that helped drive people to my podcast. And you just got to find some place where people are going to read. If there's a conference going on, just phone them up, be persistent, beg them to let you go on stage, even if it's for 15 minutes, and then just work like hell to prepare a, a fantastic speech. If you've got quality... You know, don't hide your light under a bushel. Go out there. If you have quality in your soul, if you have virtue and and beauty and reason in your soul, you owe it to the world to get it out there. You owe it to the world. Oh, there are no unchosen positive obligations. I get that. You shouldn't go to jail if you don't. You're just kind of a jerk if you don't. You know, like if you know how to do the Heimlich maneuver and you don't, you don't go to jail, but you're kind of a jerk if you don't. So just... You know, go and shine your lights. Don't, and it's not about you. Nobody cares about me, right? I mean, you guys don't don't uh, wake up in the morning and say, "Well, I hope Steph slept well." <laughs> you know, you you like, I assume, when I'm talking to you about things that matter to you, uh, stimulate your thoughts, stimulate your ideas. Uh, you know, make make you laugh a little, or or think a little, or or be sad, or or moved, or whatever, right? So. You take yourself out of the equation. The only way that I can do this is is not an ego. It's not about me It's an, you know people' funny, I do these interviews, and I did I did check this once a while ago. You know, somebody said, well, Steph, you just you keep talking over your guest, you keep interrupting your guest and it's like the guest spoke for eighty five percent of the time. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? It's not about me. it's about you know, there's you and then there's the truth. I'm like the facilitator, I'm the matchmaker. I only care about whether you like the truth. I don't care whether you like me. I mean, it's great if you do and and I hope it helps you get to the truth if you like me. But it's not about me. It's about you, and it's about the truth. You know, I mean, if, if you're a doctor, you want your patient to get better. You don't want you. Do you like me? Do you like me? You must really like me. Okay, if you're an actor, I guess people have to like you. You don't have to like me. I just want you to like the truth. I'd, like to, I'd rather be a clear pane of glass through which you can see the beautiful vista of the truth rather than looking at the glass. So just write great stuff, find some place, where you can get it out. Be persistent. Be annoying to people. You know, you, you'd be amazed. So many people get so many messages that all you have to do is be persistent. Ah, oh, Dylan Baer, thoughts on the 19th Amendment. Sorry, I've done that before. Colin Bowman, ostracism is powerful. Leftists do it well. Unfair? No, it's not unfair. Of course ostracism is powerful. My God. Of course ostracism is powerful. That's why I've been talking about it for 15 years. Saying to libertarians, ostracize people. Ostracize people who want you thrown in jail for following your conscience. I know how powerful ostracism is. Ostracism produces in the human mind similar symptoms to physical torture. It is hard, And leftists use it, of course. They're very powerful at using it. And people who criticize the left won't use it. Like, okay, well, <laughs> okay, then, then, then go into a, quote, gun fight with a knife if you want, but you're going to lose, right? So, yeah, it is powerful. Uh, Mocking Moniker says, "Do you agree with this? Men are treated like stray dogs in America. Gosh, no, that's a terrible thing to say. Stray dogs are treated much better than men in America, um, and by this I mean generally white men. But uh, no, stray dogs. There are whole. Uh, there's a whole animal shelter not far from where I live that my daughter and I sometimes go to to donate money and 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 play with the animals and so on. Right, and uh, you, you can't find a male shelter for victims of domestic violence at all. Right." You know, like I, there was this article, what was it? Slaughter, her name is, and she wrote this article about oh, man, you gotta be more into what women do, you gotta be more into what caring and men should hug. And it's like, at what points ever do these people say, You know, women, you've got to stop being so emotional and so neurotic, which they do score higher. It's not just me. They score higher on neurosis than men, and you've got to start being grounded and more rational. You've got to stop being triggered, and you've got to be more like men and look at things objectively and and master your emotions and be more like men and be more rational, maybe climb a— goddamn telephone pole to repair something at minus 20 degrees once in a while and you've got to get into more dangerous occupations you can't just leave it all to the men it's always about oh well you got to take the strengths of women and you got to get the men to conform to all the strengths of women but you never go to the weaknesses of women and say well you got to conform to some of the strengths of men now here haven't you maybe stop being so triggered maybe stop being so emotional maybe stop being so witchy with a capital b at times just maybe Maybe you got something to learn from men about emotional self-control and how to defer some of that gratification. Maybe stop being so materialistic. Maybe look at a mall and see how many stores are there for men and how many stores are there for women. And maybe you can learn something from the minimalism of men that you don't need all of this bric-a-brac white elephants and frou-frou and clams-shaped soaps in plastic that no one can touch. Maybe you don't need 1,200 different types of towels. Maybe you don't need... The scent that sounds like some unicorn from heaven shat all over you. <laughs> Maybe you don't need all of this. Maybe you don't need all these shoes. Maybe you can be just a little bit more minimalist. Maybe you can stop being ornamental. You know, this is a big thing that uh, you, you really see these days. Like it's just this, this relentless focus on women being ornamental. Look, I'm thin. I have shopping bags around me. And I'm laughing while sitting in a V-shape in an armchair, dressed in clothes that means I've never done any labor in my life, you know, maybe you could work at being more practical, maybe you could work at being more interested in things than people, you yeah. maybe you could learn from men about some things, maybe you should learn a little bit about stoicism, emotional self-control, and he says as he rants, but it's always about, like, take the weaknesses of men and say the strengths of women and say, ah, oh, women are better, you got to be like women. Never take the weaknesses of women, look at the strengths of men and say, well, you know, women, you got to step it up a little bit here too. Maybe you can be a little bit more useful and a little bit less ornamental and maybe a whole lot less materialistic and a whole lot less buying for the sake of buying. Right? I mean, this is why politicians love putting money into the hands of women. The welfare state, what is it? It's a single mother state. It's putting money in the hands of women. Divorce, alimony, child support. What is that? It's putting money in the hands of women. Hiring women into the teaching profession, hiring women into the government, ma- making companies have huge bloated HR departments because they've got to find some place to put the women. They love getting money into the hands of women because women will go spend, 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 spend. This doesn't come from my personal life. We're very frugal. But we want to go spend, 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 right? So it drives the bullshit economy, or it drives the stupid economy. It drives the, uh, I made some stuff that ripped out of the precious heart of Mother Nature, gets shipped halfway across the planet, ends up gathering dust, never looked at, behind a plant on someone's dresser. (laughs) Like, I guess a friend of mine's mom when I was a kid, I liked ducks! She had ducks everywhere, like duck wallpaper, then she had big to little ceramic ducks on the windowsill and she had duck tea towels and she had duck apron and and it was like, who gives a duck? What's with the ducks? Duck off. They're wasting nature's scarce and precious resources. For what? Ceramic ducks. They're not even going to give you eggs? <laughs> you can't eat them. Oh, uh, let me just get this, if I can find it. I'm sure I can. It's a great line from Hamlet, where he's railing at um, Ophelia. Is Ophelia? Let me just see here. Uh, let me just see here. Ah, nickname God's Creatures, Hamlet. I won't do the whole thing, but it's a really, really good speech. And, uh, of course, uh, Mel Gibson's actually pretty good at that. Ah, yes, here we go. Hamlet and Ophelia, right? Uh, So Hamlet says to Ophelia, this woman he thinks has betrayed him, If thou dost marry, I'll give thee this plague for thy dowry. Be thou as chaste as ice, as pure as snow. Thou shalt not escape calumny. Get thee to a nunnery. Go! Farewell! Or... If thou wilt needs marry, marry a fool, for wise men know well enough what monsters you make of them. To a nunnery go, and quickly too, farewell. And she says, oh, heavenly powers, restore him, because he's playing mad, right? And he says, I I, have heard of your paintings too well enough. God has given you one face, and you make yourself another. You jig, you amble, and you lisp, and nickname God's creatures, and make your wantonness your ignorance. Go to, I'll... No more on it. It has made me mad. I say we will have no more marriages. Those that are married already, all but one shall live. The rest shall keep as they are. To a nunnery go. And this, I always love that speech because how often does does a man get to have a speech about women's vanities and foibles and frailties, right? God has given you one face and you make yourself another. Like what's wrong with the face? You got to have all this makeup. You jig, you amble, and you lisp, you know, like this tire-tossing and all of this, and nickname God's creatures. The sentimentality of women, right? Some women, right? You make your wantonness your ignorance. Go to, I'll know what it's made me mad. Uh, It's uh, marry a fool, for wise men know well enough what monsters you make of them. its uh, I just remember when I first... and There was something in Stephen King's The Stand that I read when I was up north about... Feminism, uh, it's, it's powerful stuff, and, and you, you, you can't criticize any aspects of femininity, because, eh, right? But we need to, right? We need to. All right. Ah. Oh, Edwin B. says, Stefan, my patients sometimes want to hold my hand and pray before I put them under for general anesthesia. I am an atheist. Should I pretend to pray with them at their most vulnerable time? Yes, I do believe that you should, in my humble opinion. Um, I think their emotional need trumps your particular beliefs at that moment. See, you can go along with a religious ritual as long as you know what your own beliefs are. It can be polite. Like I was at someone's house some time back, and they said, we're going to say grace. What am I going to do? No. <laughs> Sweep the table clear. And I was like, "Fine, you know, I'm 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 grateful for the food, you know. I'm grateful to to the farmers, I'm grateful to nature, I'm grateful to technology, I'm grateful to trucks that deliver it. I'm grateful to you for cooking the food. I can be grateful for a meal." So, I would say that you're not going to convert anyone when they're just going under for general so I assume it's a pretty major surgery. And uh, I, you, you wish them the best, right? So what you can say is you will pray with them and you wish them the best. And you do, right? So if you wish them the best, you can say that in your mind, you can say that in your heart. It doesn't have to be that you're begging God. So Samuel Melanchon says, I'm a white atheist guy dating a Muslim Bengali girl with a Canadian citizenship. Should I run? <laughs> well, I would... Um, I'd have a couple of conversations about where this is going, right? Because is she going to... Like, here's the thing. So this this kind of thing happened some time ago. Gosh, you guys are so much fun to chat with. What time is it? Guess. <laughs> Sorry, you guys... Sorry, I should go check the chat. You guys still having fun? I think so. Let me just see here. Um, but yeah, something kind of happened way back in the day, which was that we kind of just completely gave up on thinking about where dating goes, right? So what is dating for, fundamentally, right? Dating is for um, getting married and having kids, right? Isn't that what, what dating is for? In the long run, that's really the point of it, right? And so... Just talk about that with someone. Then you find out if you just want to have sex with them or they're hot or whatever or they're fun or they're funny or whatever. Find out, you know, okay, so if um, if if we have kids, how do you want them raised? And if she wants them raised in the Muslim faith and you're an atheist, you're going to have some problems. And you kind of want to sort that out sooner rather than later. So, um, yeah, have have those conversations for sure. So. And um, if she says, well, I don't know, I want to raise my children atheists, you say, well, how's that uh, How's that going to play out with the family, right? I mean, that's, these are all important questions, right? So let's see here. Uh, sorry, I don't want to miss uh, anything. What are your thoughts on paganism? I don't really think about paganism very much, sorry. Uh, that's from <laughs> I got that pronunciation perfectly correct. Amon Harper, being married to a single mother gives you the reality of loneliness. Welcome to my hell. Soon to begin divorce proceedings. Living in a motel room. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, it's really tough. You know, the single mom stuff is is really bad. And the single mother IQ has been calculated in the low 90s. So it's not good. Again, there are exceptions. But anyway. All right. Um, what do we got here? Famitu Mayong. Did I get that right? Oh, no. I zoomed in and now I can't find it. Okay. There we go. I know you oppose all government in principle but if you could make one small improvement to the change of the American republic what would it be to the design of the American republic Yeah see you mean right now or or at the beginning if it was right now um yeah, I mean, a small change at the end of the welfare state would would is is absolutely it's going to end anyway, right? We can either soft landing or hard landing. Small improvement at the sign of the American Republic. Yeah, I don't know. Harry Brown used to have one that he supported an amendment where no congressman could vote for war unless he had unless the, there was a draft and he had a military age son. But um, I would say you could bring a lot of reality, just like no, no um, constitutional amendment, no, no unfunded liabilities, no debts, when that would uh, bring the reality. Because we're, we're living in this weird world where people can pretend to be virtuous on borrowed money. So, All right. Istak uh, says, you make a lot of sense. Steph always have. Thank you. Jason Workman says, should we start a libertarian revolution? Um, no, just I mean everything I've said before about be serious about your beliefs and and don't be friends with people who want you thrown in jail for following your conscience. Ah, uh, Crillon says, "Who owns the Notre Dame? The Catholic Church, the city of Paris, or the city of France, or the country of France? Will atheists be forced to rebuild a church?" Yeah, well, you know, less than twenty-four hours after the whole fire, I was going to date this cast, but anyway, less than twenty-four hours after the um. Uh, the fire started. They're now saying, oh, well, there's no evidence of arson. And that's, I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. They can't possibly know it at the, this point. And the owner, uh, he said there were eight workers, the guy who was running the construction jobs, there were eight workers, they were all gone by the time the fire started. And there is a video of some guy up there after the fire or around that time. Um, you can find it online. So, I mean, it's, I, I don't believe the official story. They haven't released all the documentation about how they came to the conclusion that there was no uh, arson. So, I mean, I, I mean, I just assume governments are lying all the time, right? So that's just my—it's a really constant place to to start from. And so, yeah, it's—I mean, it's—it's it's a ridiculous notion that they could. I mean, let's say some guy started the fire. What's he going to do? He's going to say, "Oh, it was an accident," or "Oops," you know? They—they they don't know. They don't know. Come on, they don't know. So. It's uh, it's terrible. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, I understand why they would be pretty tempted to falsify this if it turns out to be false, which we may also never find out, which is uh, if it turns out that there was arson. Well, I mean, um, all, all the Western—all the European countries these days— I mean, not the Central Eastern, but certainly the Western European countries and and the UK. All they're doing is just trying to hold things together at the moment. That there's no plan for the future. There's no goal. That's just like, can I get five more minutes without a revolution? That, that's all they're doing these days. Is they're just trying to hold this shaking re-entry spaceship together for five more minutes. That's all. That's all they're all they're doing. So, will atheists be forced to rebuild the church? The money could be spent worse, in worse ways. Justin Wilkins, My girlfriend is a Jehovah's Witness and I'm a Christian. She wants to be a Christian but doesn't want her family to hate her. We've been together for two years and her family hates what we are, that we are dating. Thoughts on what she should do? Well, I mean, is she interested in the future or is she interested in the past? If she's interested in the past, then she's going to go back to her family she's going to give up you. And if she wants to build the future, then if the family is making her make that choice, you know, I—I I mean, I have one answer to ultimatums: <laughs> bye-bye, yeah, or okay, bye. I don't—I don't do ultimatums. I don't accept ultimatums. I don't respond to ultimatums with anything. I mean, I just don't do ultimatums, and—and and you should never do ultimatums. By the time you get to an uh, ultimatum state, you're in such a state of desperation that you just get out. So. The other thing too is, is uh, uh, why? I mean, are you committed to her? If she, if you're not committed to her, then she could end up in the worst situation, which is she ends up with the enmity of her family, but she doesn't get you as a husband. So it may be an issue with to do with your commitment, which you know you can give or not give, but it just maybe. Arminius Calgus says the history videos are easy to share far and wide. Yes, 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 and. Um, I, I appreciate those. You know, it's funny because um, in, in February when the views just cratered uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's a little startling, I was like, oh, I should put out more videos and so on. I'm like, no, I think kind of the opposite is is needed at the moment, which is this is why I've been working so hard on the truth about Plato and um, I've got some other things sort of in, in the works and I do need to put out videos that are going to be general interest and more shareable. So that's sort of the idea. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Sorry, I sound like I'm rebooting here, but I'm just trying to figure out whether I, because i got to get to a bunch more answers, whether I'm doing. Okay, John Smith, how much longer are you going to stream? I want to ask a question, but I have someone over and can't pay attention. Um, Not not much longer. Uh, Pendament philosophy. Hey, Steph, do you still have a relationship with Alex Jones? I'd love to see you on the show again, or vice versa. Uh, I like Alex. Uh, I think he made some... Uh, judgment errors uh, obviously Uh, but um, and it's interesting i watched an analysis i think it was a quebec lawyer gave of the deposition that was put on alex regarding the sandy hook uh, lawsuits and uh, it was very interesting i just sort of wanted to recommend that it was i find that stuff kind of fascinating um ben joy says what made you think you could create a successful philosophy show when I use the word philosophy, I can see people's eyes glaze over. Yeah, you know, it really does have a pretty bad rap. And I can kind of understand why because it's been academic t- to the point where there's no bad phone. It's like, oh, we got a moral dilemma. Let's call a philosopher, right? Um, so there's something that I read years and years ago. It's funny the little things that stick with you, but someone said, I would rather talk to someone really passionate about stamp collecting, which I'm not interested in, than someone who was not interested in a topic that I enjoyed. And that's it's a very interesting perspective, right? So if you're if you really care about something that comes across, right? That that you see that in and that that excitement and that that passion about it. So I love philosophy. I love philosophy to my very bone marrow, the tips of my toes. And I know how important it is. I know the alternative to philosophy is the deaths of millions of well billions of people frankly so it's pretty high stakes and i will not hide my passion for it and if a smart person cares strongly about something to the point where they're willing to talk about things that are risky and take calumny and slander and attacks for all of that you know it's going to be interesting to people uh kirk thanks i did dance the trump thing uh pod found you in 15 and went from self-hating, dissociated to a euphoria that had me crying at the beauty of light shining through tree leaves in summer. Oh, that is... uh That's very nice of you. I will support your work till I die. Too much to type. Thank you. Dude, that's incredibly kind. So he found me when 2015 went from self-hating, dissociated to a euphoria that had me crying at the beauty of light shining through tree leaves in summer. And that's... The world is so beautiful. The world is so gorgeous. It is so... Amazing. And individuals that I meet, almost all of them are, are wonderful. So this, you know, somebody the other day was uh, saying, oh, your inbox must be interesting. My inbox is wonderful. My inbox is full of baby pictures and people getting married. And, and you know, my kids love me more. And, and uh, I've reconciled with my dying father and stuff like this. Uh, I've gone from this uh, to, to wonderful things. And that's my my inbox is like beams and beacons of light. So... Uh, I um, I appreciate that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, excuse me one sec. I had a tiny sneeze. <laughs> all right. Uh, childhood. So thanks for sharing your experience and insight. You're right. Loneliness is a call to action. Thanks for all you do for self-knowledge and beyond. Thank you. Uh, let's see here. Hi, Stefan. I was curious. What's your email or your contact for events and inquiries? Um, it's on, on the website. Also, would you ever consider a discussion or debate on Nick Fuentes, Faith Goldie shows or streams, and with Jared Taylor? I've done shows with those with those people. So I'm not doing a lot of interviews these days. Um, so uh, interviews have never done particularly well in terms of views in general. So I really do kind of have to focus on the views at the moment. Uh, Blooddrake says, Stefan, I'm 25, make 25k a year. I'll wait till you're 150. Self-sufficient, decent relationship with my folks, but I'm very lonely. Friend zoned by all the girls I'm attracted to. Can't believe in myself. Jaded. What should I do? Hmm. Do you know why you get friend-zoned? It's very simple. You get friend-zoned because you're dishonest. You get friend-zoned because you lie. You get friend-zoned because you don't state what you want from the woman right up front. Right? The friend zone is where dishonest men go. Like if, oh, the women are just attracted to jerks, it's like, okay, well, maybe that's true, but those jerks are honest. Because they say, I want to go on a date with you. I'm attracted to you. Let's do it, right? Now, the woman can say no, and you honor and respect the fact that she says no, and you don't pester her, and you don't stalk her, and you don't bother her. But what happens is that you kind of float around hoping that she's going to be attracted by your vaguely friendly proximity. And that's just not the way that this works. This is, you know, like... What is this? An old Tom Likas thing? It's like, don't take dating advice from your single mom. Oh, you got to treat her with respect. And I was like, well, no, that's really not. I mean, if, if she had such a wonderful guy, then why is he gone, right? So you have been told that you respect women by not being forward and saying what you want. But that's not respecting women. That's not respect. It is not respecting women. To falsify yourself for them. What, they can't handle the truth? Do you, th- do you think women, young, attractive women, do you think that they don't know that there are men around who are really attracted to them that they have no idea? This is what nature designed them for to figure out where they stand in the hierarchy of attractiveness. So you're friend zone, because you're lying to the women, right? I mean, you've got to go declare yourself. It's high stakes, right? You get what you want or you really don't get what you want. But I'm attracted to you. I, you know, I would like to go on a date with you. Let's let's see if we can get something great out of this. Wouldn't that be wonderful, right? And, you know, make sure you're attracted for the right reasons, not just some whatever particular, particular body part fetish you have. But, you know, the woman's got to have some intelligence, some good humor, some good sense, some good ethics, uh, some whatever, right? So just the way that you respect women is you tell them the truth if you want to go out with a woman you say i want to go out with you and if she says i don't want to go out with you you say well i'm sorry about that but you know thank you for your honesty right the friend zone is also the just keeping in the women are not being honest because they're not saying listen i'm never going to go out with you but i really need some help moving later this month so i'm going to have you just float around this sort of beta orbiter provider so nobody's being honest and and Dishonesty and falsifying your existence and pretending to be something. Oh, no, I just, you know, let's just be friends. Like, you want to date her. So tell her you want to date her. I mean, then you will. uh, But then she could reject me. It's like, yeah, good. Then you can move on to someone who's not going to reject you. You know, it's like in sales. There has been, I've been involved in sales situations where it's 500 to 1,000 cold calls to make a sale. You kidding me? The nastiest thing that someone can do in the business world if they're not going to buy from you is string you along because then you call back and you fly out and you do another presentation. It's terrible. People who say, nope, 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 never going to happen, click, right? Nope. Then you're then then you one step closer to the, the, the big sale that you're going to get, right? And these were like half a million dollar computer systems, so you have to find that right need, that right, you know, oh, yeah, that's just come across my desk and... So you, you, like the no, 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 it's great. It's just one step closer to yes. No doesn't define you. No does not define you as an individual. No doesn't define you as an individual at all. If you know the quality of what you provide, I'm a great husband, I'm a great father. I knew that I was going to be these things. So all the women who said no to me, and it wasn't like, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of player, but yeah, I went on a lot of dates, but some women said no. I mean, what can I say? I mean, they made a mistake. And I I, I'm, I, guarantee you there are women out there who are kicking themselves. I mean, probably some of them, <laughs> read me in the media, but I'm relieved, right? But yeah, some women who know the truth, it's like, yeah, I mean, listen to me chatting away with my daughter and having a blast together and so on. And like, who wouldn't want a part of that? Who wouldn't be a part of that kind of life, right? And uh, yeah, I, I've occasionally looked up old girlfriends, yeah, you know, see how they're doing. And uh, anyway, it doesn't really get into any details, but just stop being dishonest. G- give women the truth. Tell them the truth. If you're attracted to a woman, say, I'm attracted to you. I want to go on a date. <laughs> you know? what? This friend zone stuff is, is just a it's a conspiracy of, of bullshit, basically. Stop bullshitting people. All right. MB. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Justin says, uh, I've watched and donated for three years. Thank you. That's why I'm here. It gets better and better as time goes. I've doubled my income by selling this instead of that. However, first date conversations just got a little less interesting. Advice? You know, everyone's desperate to tell you the truth. Everyone's desperate. I mean, there's a reason why people call me up even after like 15 years. They call me up and then they, they, I want to say spill their guts. But they're, you know, they're honest. They're answer questions. Everybody wants to tell you their story. Everybody wants to be honest. Everybody wants someone who's interested. Everybody has a secret world and a secret life and a secret chamber that they're desperate to fling wide to the world and have the world see. Okay, maybe not serial killers, but hopefully you're not dating them, right? But just... Be interested in people and see how you feel when you're chatting with them. All right. Um, MB says, sorry, just got to do a couple more. So if you could hold off, uh, just go to freedominradio.com forward slash 8 if you wouldn't mind for that. If you could, I would like you to comment your thoughts on my beliefs. Part one, I am a critic of foreign intervention and spending, especially on Israel. I'm an economic centrist favoring some regulation, especially on monopolies. What's, I mean... I, I've never understood this monopoly thing. I really genuinely don't. If you're concerned about monopolies, well, the government is a monopoly, and it's a violent monopoly. If I'm, I'm concerned about voluntary monopolies, so I'm going to sell my freedoms to a violent monopoly because I'm so scared of monopolies. It's like, come on. Right? That's like thinking there's a bee in your car, so you're going to run into the house of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family to save you from the bee. <laughs> come on. So, no. I mean, yeah, foreign intervention, spending, yeah, of course, of course, right? Uh, Alan says, hey, Steph, what are your thoughts of European people's life before Christianity? Baltic states have never lost their pagan roots. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've had people on the show talk about that. I don't know enough about it, so I really can't, uh, I really can't uh, talk about that. Arminius Kalgakis, more Jared Taylor and the like, please, like Nick Fuentes. I will mull it over. Formal petition for Stefan Gaming Channel. Hit number one for yes. <laughs> I will I will work on that. Somebody said message deleted. But thank you for the donation. Oh, MB Part 2. I want to end monopolies and help economic growth, also incentivizing traditional values. I'm a nationalist, but I'm an ethnic nationalist for Europeans. Stefan, you seem to match the description. Extreme individualist. I mean, labels, labels. I don't mean I'm a philosopher. I've got an ethical system. I mean, extreme individualist. I don't know know what that means all right uh some else says the past few months appear to have been one prolonged black pill am i mistaken to think that yes uh the world is getting darker and um lines are being drawn and escalation is occurring because we're gearing up 2019 is an election season in Canada it's going on in Alberta at the moment and uh 2020 is going to be uh it's going to be nuts it's going to be nuts like you know stretch get lots of rest stay hydrated it is it is going to be I mean, it's Ragnarok twenty twenty uh, in America. So yeah, things are things are getting dark. I mean, the left is the mask is slipping, right? Like they've got these these real wild anti Semites in in power, and these like bartenders coming up with ninety four trillion dollar plans of insanity and all of that. I mean, it's really they're crumbling, they're falling apart, and it's a little sooner than they want, right? the mask is slipping too quickly. They don't have the demographics that they need as yet, and they're scaring the living shit out of people out there right so it is um it is going to be nuts and it is getting dark i mean it's not an accident that the suppressions are happening now all right uh, mb not a fan of your anti-state rants i prefer your philosophical takes and advocates for uh and defending okay all right uh ryan mcmullen best piece of advice for young entrepreneurs thanks to keep up with the great work um that it's not about making money, it's just about making people happy with things that are of value, right? And so you are responsible for the goods that you produce. And if what you're selling is going to make people's lives better, then damn well stand by it and help people understand that. All right, Samuel Heaton, on the other hand, what can men really learn from women, in your opinion? <laughs> That's a good question. I will mull that over. I mean, I know that there's a lot. I just, you know, it's a little bit late uh, on, uh, on the night. So let's see here. Finish off the last bit. And listen, guys, great. What is this? Like, two hours? That's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Canadian Latitude. What is wrong with Canadians? We're almost 152 years old, and all we vote for is the same two old parties who are not that much different. Why are Canadians scared of real change? Is it familiarity or comfortability? Seems odd. Well, which is not desperate enough yet to to risk change, right? I mean, changing politics significantly is pretty risky. Sean Connery or more. Ah, Connery. Connery's a badass. Moore was a pretty boy. Can you please talk proprietarianism? Can you please give a shout-out to my amazing wife, Mackenzie? Hi, Mackenzie. You sound amazing to me. Thanks for all that you do. You've truly changed our lives. Propertarianism. Eh, maybe. Uh, have you talked to Sticks 666, that Sticks Hexenhammer 666, about a video lately? No, but I like the guy, uh, so probably well. Do you believe in free will, and if so, how can... Such be in a universe made up of matter governed by laws of nature. Well, um, I've got a whole free book out there called Essential Philosophy. You can get it at EssentialPhilosophy.com, which um, which gives the whole argument. So, Angry Dinosaur, thank you. Emmon Hopper, thank you. Morgan Davis, how do you unwind and relax with this weight on your shoulders? Please never shrug. I love you, Steph. Uh, Wouldn't be the man I am without your help. Well, thank you. That's very, very kind. And um, how do I unwind and relax? Well, I, I exercise uh, quite a bit and um spending time with my daughter is is absolutely wonderful and um i uh uh spending time with my wife is fantastic we we have friends and and we have great times and great laughs and um you you have to sort of you you, you put forward your best effort and then you relax secure in a good conscience right I, I don't want to sit there and say, you know, if things go to hell, I don't want to sit there and say, well, I had this big thing that I knew was important, but I didn't talk about it, right? Like the race and IQ stuff, right? I mean, it's important. Like, I'm sorry that it's the fact that it is. I wish it wasn't, but it's really damn important. And if I hadn't talked about it, I would have uh, I would have felt very ashamed. I would have felt very um, – well, I would have felt like a child again. Like I can't talk about things because there's a bully in the house and, I, you know, I mean – it's cost me a lot and uh, it's cost me friendships and it's cost me opportunities and it's um, cost me exposure. And, uh, you know, there's a price to be paid for, the, for this kind of truth. But I mean, I don't really care about that stuff as much as I care about having a good relationship with my own conscience and a good relationship with the needs of the world and of philosophy. So you do your best within the realm of what is. Um what's a good word for this sustainable you do your best within the realm of what is sustainable, and when you've done your best, you can relax and you can unwind because you've done your best if you're i don't know let's give you an extreme example like 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 you you're struggling to to save someone in a stormy sea and and if you go to the very last limits of your endurance and you can't save them. You're sad, but you don't have any regrets because you're like, well, if I'd have put out like 30 seconds more effort, I would have had cramps and died in the ocean. So I did everything I possibly could. And that's how you clear your conscience. And, you know, I want this to be a marathon, not a sprint, right? I mean, the the long walk through the institutions the left has done has been going on for almost 70 years. You know, you can't solve a problem that took... 70 years or 150 years if you count marks so or longer. You can't solve a problem overnight that's that embedded that took that long to to, to start, right? You can't, if you're 300 pounds overweight, it's going to take you years to lose it safely, I think. So you, you do the best that you can in a sustainable manner, and then you can relax because you say, well, okay, but if I'd have done more, I I wouldn't have been able to sustain what I'm doing. And I'm not even sure what more would look like for me. I don't like, I've been so far beyond the Overton window in essential truths. I don't know what more would look like for me. I'm I'm very comfortable with the choices that I've made, and I'm very comfortable with my conscience. So I appreciate that, that kindness, I really do. And uh, with that, I guess, you know, it's been a great chat. I could chat with you guys all night. But um, I do... uh, get some sleep. So, uh, thanks everyone so much, of course, for all of your wonderfully kind support. It is a great, great pleasure to chat with you. It is a great honor to to have your trust and your faith in this philosophical conversation. You know, you know it, you feel it, you feel it, you feel it, you sense it coming. Freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. That's Radio.com forward slash donate. Uh, if you could help out the show, I would really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, You know, as the views go down, this is the whole point, right? As the views go down on on YouTube, it's not... I mean, I'm working to, to, as I always do, to keep them up. And, um, I mean, I'll do what I can, of course, right? But um, as the views go down, then, you know, people naturally will cycle out of donations, right? They they move on, they run out of money, they change jobs, they move, whatever, right? They need to save for something. So people are going to cycle out from donations and, of course, the purpose of, of pushing down views is to um, have fewer people cycle in so that there's a slow diminishment of the oxygen in the room that so if you could help out you know we'll keep going by hook or by crook but if you could help out I would really really appreciate that it is very very necessary to put it mildly so well thanks everyone so much have yourself a wonderful wonderful evening love you guys to death i'll talk to you soon